Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sacrifice your footing for a killing stroke. What's conducting the electricity? Our bodies, Mr. Angiora, quite capable of conducting and indeed producing energy. I apologize. There simply is too much magic. The good cop, bad cop routine. Not exactly. Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. In this podcast, the great Jack Howard and I got together with the aim of putting all the Christopher Nolan films in our order of preference. There are currently 10 Christopher Nolan films, not counting Tenet, which none of us have seen yet. So we decided to, okay, let's do a top 10 in which Jack does his top 10 uh, Christopher Nolan movies and I do my top 10 and we see how they match up. Now, we recorded this conversation a few days ago and we've just discovered today that the release of Tenet has been put back yet again so currently no one actually knows when Tenet is going to open however as it stands the uh, top 10 discussion that we had didn't include Tenet anyway because none of us have seen it so sit back and enjoy our top 10 rundown here's a word of warning we thought we were going to get all of this into one podcast we failed horribly so the way I suggest that we do this is we go through the list, starting at number 10, and I call out my number 10, and you call out your number 10, but we don't talk about the movie until we've both cited it in the, you know, in the chart. I just think that's, that's going to make some kind of sense of what is, let's yeah, face Yeah, I it. think that's a good idea. I also think that it's going to be so interesting. I think we're going to go out of sync with each other quite a lot on this. Yeah. I don't imagine we're going to have similar feelings on, on these movies. Which is weird because when we did Star Wars, we were much more in sync with each other than we had imagined. So um, yeah, but I think because okay. Star Wars is a thing I came to quite late, whereas I think Christopher Nolan is the director that I discovered in my formative years as a film fan, as a and as a filmmaker. So okay. I think he's had such a great influence on me. And so for the last couple of weeks, because I knew we were doing this, I've gone back and revisited almost every single Christopher Nolan wow. film, and I also watched Following for the first time because I'd never seen it before. Okay. Um, so I have okay, like well, a great am- okay. am- amount of things to say about all of these films. Okay. Well, in that case, it's, it's a long podcast. I hope you're <laughs> listening to this either on a long run or a long strap car in. journey. Yeah, exactly. So strap in. So let's start with at number 10 for me, the film you just mentioned following, which is of course the very first Christopher Nolan feature. What's your number 10? My number 10 is the dark Knight rises. Okay, fine. So in that case, we're going to move on until we hit one together. So for number nine, for me, Insomnia. Number nine for me is Interstellar. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, Jack, this is... this is Save it. Save is, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, it's just interesting. Okay, so uh, number eight for me, Interstellar. Number eight for me is Following. Okay, so so we've both got Interstellar and Following in the lower in the lower three. Okay, right. Yes. 
So we can do Interstellar now because, uh, because I've said Interstellar. So you've got it at number nine and I've got it at number eight. You go first. I think that Interstellar is Christopher Nolan's most frustrating film. I think it's a Frankenstein mess. I remember the first time I ever watched it, I was so hyped up and excited about it. I went to the premiere, luckily enough, so hyped up and just immediately was like, oh no. Like from, from like the opening few moments, because I think that we all know that Nolan, there's almost like a meme at this point that Nolan is overly expositional. Like he likes, his, he likes dialogue, he likes things being explained, but we'll come to uh, sort of talk about how he does that really well in movies like Inception later yes. on. Okay. Um, but I think that this is overly expositional from the, from the off, from the off. Like, I think a lot of people talk about how the last moments, I mean, also, by the way, everybody fully spoilers for every single movie yes. we're talking about here. Well, well pointed so out. I should have your own that. fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you haven't seen these movies, but full spoilers. <laughs> so, right. What I was going to say there was that everyone complains. She's a guy. About she's a guy it's a sledge. Yeah. Just get used to it. Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, everyone complains about the overly expositional stuff when uh, Matthew McConaughey's in the Tesseract at the end about him being like, don't you get it, Tars? It's us. We, we're doing this in the future. We're doing this. And it's, it's just him explaining it all in sort of like 2001, but for idiots, like, yeah. which obviously is frustrating. But I, it's from the start of the movie that it's overly expositional, eye-rollingly expositional. Um, at the moment that he's uh, having a meeting with his daughter's um, teachers and they're talking about how the moon landings were faked and things like that and and then he go, he essentially just goes well, that makes me think of my dead wife and it's just like why <laughs> why why are you talking about your dead wife now because you just know we need to know it and then it, it's it's also I think the movie that I find the hardest to invest in out of Nolan's movies and he deals with some okay. huge concepts but the dust is coordinates. Let's go. I'm not, I don't believe you at all. And then when he goes there, he gets to NASA and there's a rocket behind a wall. <laughs> like what? I don't understand like this storytelling that it seems stupid to me. And the reason why I call it Frankenstein as well is because something, maybe not everybody knows this, but um, the premise of Interstellar was conceived by uh, Linda Opst, I think her name is, and a theatrical, uh, a theoretical physicist called Kip Thorne, and yep. they were put together. Uh, they they collaborated on contacts, and they were put together to come up with something. And they did like an eighty-page document. And then Jonathan Nolan was hired in two thousand and seven, I believe, to write the screenplay for Steven Spielberg to direct. And I think a lot of the elements in this movie, the father daughter um, stuff specifically, or that emotional ties. To, to yeah. the movie, I think is leftover stuff from the Jonathan Nolan draft for Steven Spielberg. And I think a lot of that stuff would have worked a lot better in the hands of Steven Spielberg. And then all the um, scientific, all the science, uh, scientific, I just said, yeah, I'm <laughs> all the scientific, <laughs> theoretical, like wormhole stuff, uh, all that grand stuff is, is incredible to watch. Like in the goods category, the Miller's planet, the water planet, is incredible like it's classic nolan stuff the rising tension and the, you know the, yeah. uh, those aren't mountains those are waves incredible yeah, that's, a, that's that is a and great then, moment that is a great moment it's incredible that's pure cinema and then coming back 23 years later and seeing his children grow up on mm. screen in a matter of minutes over 23 years is extremely emotional and I, and, and it's it seems like that and Later, we'll talk about Dunkirk as well. When I reject the idea that people say that Nolan can't do emotion, 
and Michael Caine's death is incredible. I think it might be Hans Zimmer's best score ever. Like it's so beautiful and so like ethereal and ten. Uh, it, it's it's amazing. I, it's Are we talking now score. about inter- I, we're talking now about the score for Interstellar? Completely, yeah. Yes, yeah, so fine, 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 fine. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah um, okay. I think that uh, the docking sequence as well, yeah. incredible. Like there's there's good stuff in it, and this is why I find it frustrating because I think that it's like everything that Anne Hathaway says is dumb. Hiding Matt Damon, calling him Doctor Man is dumb. Like, explaining the wormhole when they're in space is dumb. I think it's just a lot of dumb stuff dressed up to look clever. And I don't really care if it's based on anything like real because the way that it's been expressed to me feels stupid. And then the, the, just to top it all off, the cherry on the top is that the emotional through line of this story from the very start, the first half an hour is absolutely based on this is father daughter. That is, that is what it's asking us to care about. It's between father and daughter and the movie betrays itself at the end they are reunited at the end when she's an old woman and he's the same age and it's emotional and she says i knew my dad would come back and then he leaves again (laughs) and i'm just watching it being like nolan this is wrong and i hope that you know you now that you've made a mistake because that was your emotional tie and you you cut to black there and you've got a better film already a better film you told him i like farming me, Murph. How is your ghost? I know. People didn't believe me. They thought that I was doing it all myself. But I knew who it was. Nobody believed me. But I knew you. Okay, so I think they should have cut to black a long time before that. I think they should have cut to black at the point when he when they go into when he goes into the other dimension. I think everything about coming out and you know, oh, they're all right, it's fine, and then he's back home, and then it's Ellen Burstyn. I think all of that stuff is nonsense. The stuff I love about the film, uh, I've seen it three times now, and I've seen it on IMAX. And I think it is experiential in the same way it that it must have been watching, you know, the early Melier stuff, or you know, watching. I, I, I remember. Uh, uh, you know Christopher Nolan talking about his his love of cinema, and then you watch Interstellar, and you go, "That's a movie made by somebody who loves cinema." I agree with you about the Frankenstein nature of the script, although I love Contact. You see, and there is a lot Contact's of Contact. Exactly, it is a better film. Well, it's a better script, um, but there's a mm. lot of Contact, and there's a moment in Contact when uh, Jodie Foster's character says they should have sent a poet. And I went back and I looked at my review of. Um, uh, of Interstellar when it came out. I said, in many ways, with Nolan, that is what they did. They sent a visual poet. But I agree with you that the script and the exposition in the script and the behind, he's behind the bookcase, but then he's back, all that stuff is like, stop talking. From the beginning, as soon as, I mean, just, I mean, just the opening moments when she says, there's a ghost in my room. I was like, that's Matthew McConaughey. I know this movie is going to deal with time travel. It's Matthew McConaughey. And like, just from the start, it but, just gave but, itself away. But there are individual things in it. I mean, like the moment when it cuts from the drive to the, you know, to the take up all that sort of stuff. There are moments yep. in it that are so breathtaking that actually, you know, Stanley Kubrick said that at the end of 2001, you didn't need to understand what was going on. You just needed to experience it. 
I like Interstellar because of the experience of it. I think the exposition is unnecessary. And actually, if they made it with nobody saying anything, with nobody ever explaining what's going on, I think it would have been fun. But I also felt that it was kind of part of Chris Nolan's popcorn thing, which was I would like the audience to understand this. But okay, just because I think we, we've got a lot to get through. It's interesting that we both have it, although we both think that you know it has an extraordinary score and it looks amazing it's not even in the top five. It's in the top three. Yeah. Now, the other one that, uh, that you chose at number three, and I chose at number 10, you put it at number seven, was following. And the reason yeah. I, put number, I put following at number 10 was because, not that it's a bad film, and incidentally, I don't think any of these films are bad films. I think, I think that's probably a good thing to sort of point out now, even when yeah. I'm you know, ranting about Interstellar, is that yeah. literally no Christopher Nolan film is, a bad is without film. merit. Yeah. Like, so the thing, they all the, have something worthwhile in them. I completely agree that Interstellar has moments that I just enjoy the experience I, of. I think, it, I think it's more than moments. I think there are, there are... I mean, I've been reduced to tears by Interstellar. I still think there are things wrong with it, but I still think it's breathtaking. Yeah, no, I was, when I rewatched it, I, was, I cried at that moment when he comes yeah. back and watches his daughter grow up. Following I had at number 10, not because it's a bad film, but because it's the beginning of everything. It's before yes. he really kind of finds his feet. I mean, it's... It, in a way, it's what's fascinating about it is because you can see what's then going to come. You can see the non-linear thing. You can see the deceptively labyrinthine double crosses. You can see the sense of characters not being what they appear to be. It also tells you that one of the key things about understanding Nolan's work is that he's obsessed with that um, uh, that film noir thing about deception. And you look at something from two different angles and it looks like a different thing. And that is a very noir kind of concoction. And in the case, in the case of following, it's at number 10 for me because it, it, that's a compliment, incidentally, because it's like, okay, you got better. You know, you started yeah. here and there was no point that you went there. And let's face it, we all know plenty of filmmakers, you know, who started there and then went down there. So it's at number 10 for me just because it's the beginning. It's him finding his feet. It's 16 millimeter. It's shot under very stressful circumstances. You know, it's the beginning. It was shot over the course of a year, I believe. It's on weekends. On weekends, Which is yeah. incredible. But you're right, actually. You look at following and then you look at the guy who's now making Tenet and you go, oh, that's the same person. And then you look at Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and you look at Aladdin and you go, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I agree with you. I think what I wrote down for it was that it was like all rough around the edges. It was the beginning of all Nolan's tricks, the smart nonlinear storytelling. I love that it was um, it was using its limitations as uh, as a positive rather than going, oh, yeah. we can't do this thing. Like he, I, I've seen him talk about it and say, oh, we made it a hammer instead of a gun because in low budget movies, when you have a uh, a prop gun, you can never make it look right. So we made it a hammer, and that's yeah. more effective. And I think that that going forward is what Nolan's doing over and over again is going, okay, what's the most effective piece of storytelling? He's yeah. not always thinking about. Um, well, but what, 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 what's, what's true to it? What do I, what's right for it? Like he's thinking, what can I do effectively to give people yeah. the best experience? Yeah. And I put it at number, um, uh, number seven, number seven, but um, you, so you put it, you put it above interstellar. Oh no, mine's number eight. So it's number eight. Oh, fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. Number three. eight, but you had interstellar at number nine, right? Yes. Because yeah. I find, so you think both the, the dark rises interstellar <sighs> look, it's not. It's, I enjoyed watching Following more than I enjoyed watch, rewatching Interstellar. I think you. I think you. I think that he's a better filmmaker when he made Interstellar. But okay. I think that Following is a better film. I think okay. that Following is like a co coherent, okay. um, 
you know, it's, a, it's got a better script. It, it shows him being a better storyteller. And I think Interstellar, yes, okay. has better moments and bigger flair and better actors and all that sort of stuff and bigger ideas that yeah. are explored in a really, really incredible way. But I think that following for what it is, like it, they're incomparable to each other, but I yeah, think but that Jack, following... We're doing a list. Everything is comparable. Yeah. That's how it works. You yeah. Know? It's just well, like, yeah. yeah. Shut up, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd just like to say, just for the record, just in case anyone's missed this, uh, Jack thinks that Following is a better film than Interstellar. Dark Knight Rises, I, I think you'll get you'll get less pushback on. But as far as Interstellar is concerned, that's it's okay. So I Jack, just I, you, I mean, you heard me rant. I think Interstellar I is is. I mean, the whole thing for Interstellar can be summed up by Topher Grace when he when he's in the film saying, "We don't have time for this." <laughs> <laughs> like uh, one more thing on Interstellar because I just want to get this out there is that Nolan is really famous for his cross cutting action and yeah. his sort of. Like intertwined sequences and they have images in them that have no relation to each other but they feel like they're connected in some way and yeah. interstellar to me just feels incoherent when it's doing that moment when uh, she's figuring out the bookcase and he's in space and, and it's being intercut with the, the the crops being burnt down i'm like this is madness this feels like you're trying to make sense of it in the edit it doesn't feel like you knew what this was whereas every other cross-cutting sequence that nolan's ever done does feel like it relates to each other and builds to a crescendo and that, that just felt like oh, i guess we'll just slap some stuff to it doesn't feel like it has a, a firm grasp on itself I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Now, because we have to finish this podcast today, Jack, I'm going to move us on to number seven. All right, so stop number seven. me. I'm not, I'm not Patrick. I'm just looking at the clock and thinking, you know, I've had a birthday <laughs> since you started talking about uh, <laughs> Um At number seven for me, Dunkirk. And again, I'll say <gasps> this, you know, it's... Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. So shall I go first? Well, hang on. Well, I, haven't, I haven't done Dunkirk. No, what's your number yet? seven? Dunkirk. Sorry. 
My number seven is insomnia. Okay, fine. So um, my number... I think we've both done insomnia now. I we've think both you, done insomnia? I think insomnia. Hang on, I had uh, following... Yes, I had let's say insomnia at number nine. Okay, so let's do insomnia first, then we'll move on to Dunkirk. Okay, so insomnia, go. Insomnia, uh, it's... <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think maybe on this, on different days, this this might be in a different order. Insomnia. The biggest problem with insomnia is it's not seven. That's the biggest problem with insomnia. <laughs> um, <laughs> so clearly, wants Dear to be seven. Christopher Nolan, I very much enjoyed your film Insomnia. However, it was not seven. Your <laughs> Jack. I think that it's uh, <laughs> it's. It's a it's the start of the stuff that Nolan becomes very very interested in, which is the sort of duality stuff, the the, the two sides of the same coin, uh, the detective who understands the the terrible criminal. Um, it's got a lot of like very blunt imagery in it that I always I always really like in movies. I'm quite a sucker for that stuff. So the blaring sun coming through the window, like representation, uh, which is a representation of his guilt that he can't keep out um, and he can't sleep. That it's literally foggy when he shoots his partner <laughs> and he is Quite foggy literally. about that. I, I, yeah, I, I like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I like that it's, it's structured a bit like Wicker Man. Like it's a guy who arrives to a strange place and it's weird and, and messes with his mind. And I find, I find Insomnia a, a, an interesting watch, an entertaining watch. I think that, but I think actually it might be one of my favorite Al Pacino performances as well. And Robin Williams is just so creepy in it. And you can see yeah. why he was being considered for the Joker when Nolan was originally doing that. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I find it very, very good. Uh, and I just, I just, I, I think it was actually kind of Nolan's audition to do Batman. I think they liked him from Memento and they were like, okay, let's see how you, this is all speculative, but it feels like they're going, okay, let's see how you do with two of the biggest stars in the world yeah. and this amount mm-hmm. of money, especially because um, uh, it was the, it's the only film that Nolan has made that he's not a writer on. Yeah. Um, so okay. it feels like it's like, all right, have, let's see how you do with that. So it feels quite um, by the numbers in certain ways, but it feels like he's exploring some of the flair that we get to see later in some bigger movies, thematically and with his actual film uh, filmmaking itself. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's just very good. I have great respect for your profession. But the situation isn't yours to control, Will. You're trying to impress me, Vince. You had the wrong guy. It took you 10 minutes to beat Kit Connell to death. There's no evidence that I killed Kay. You only know it because I told you. Are you doing okay? I mean, you haven't been sleeping much, Detective Dormer. Another night up like this and you're really going to lose it. Now the game has turned deadlier than he ever imagined. This whole thing you're doing ain't going to work with me. Hold it! Where is she, Finch? In response to what you just said about insomnia, I think that the the reason it's quite far down the list for me, I mean, I think it looks absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, early example of that, that, that you know, Scandi Noir, the idea of a thriller taking place in bright daylight in which the whole point is that yeah. you can't block out the light is really interesting, particularly when you think about Nolan's interest in, in noir and in what we then think of with the Dark Knight trilogy in which it's all darkness, it's all shadows. And that's all to do with Wally Fister and the way in which Wally Fister can make darkness visible. Um, 
uh, and I do think the performances are great. I think um, Pacino is great. I think Hilary Swank is great. I think Robin Williams is extraordinary. My my only issue would be it is very close to the Eric Skjöldbjörg original, and and in a way, it's kind of like an awful lot of the stuff that you've just said is great about it is also great about the original film. In fact, I found this was a quote from uh, from the director of the original. Um, he said, he was asked what he thought of the Nolan some years after. He said, well, I haven't seen it for quite a while. But when I first saw it, it was a very strange experience because it is quite close stylistically to the original. He then goes on to say, I felt lucky that it's such a well-crafted, smart film. It had a really good director handling it because as a remake, I think it did really well. It doesn't hurt any original if a remake is done. So I felt I was lucky that Christopher Nolan did it, which is you know a very charitable thing to say. But it is mm. true that the I, mean, I saw the remake... I saw the original after, so I saw the, the remake first and then I saw the original and I was surprised by, by how close they are to each other. I mean, there are fundamental differences, both in terms of narrative and in terms of the way in which it kind of shifts the guilty underpinning of the story. But it is, it is I mean, you know, there are remakes that, that I love. We've spoken about, you know, Soderbergh, Solaris and, uh, and Friedkin's uh, Wage of Fear, but it's just down the line for me because it, it, it is the... It is a remakey remake, um, as opposed to a kind of you know a statement of of original intent. That's my only issue with it, and that's not that's not to say it's not a good remake, but you kind of feel like if you're going to praise it, you have to praise the original as well. And people, I think, people, too few people have seen the original, which is a shame. So you should seek. The, have you seen the original film? No, I haven't. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's my bad. No, no, no. Of course, I mean n- nobody has. But check it out. In fact, funnily enough, when they released the original on DVD, on video, pardon me, because it was that long ago, they released it with a cover that looked exactly like the poster of, um, of Insomnia, you know, with the two faces and the black and the white, because they were trying to say, hey, you remember this film? You read it? It's like when they, when they put out L.A. Takedown, the Michael Mann film, upon which he based Heat. And they made the cover of the video look exactly like Heat, as if to say, look, you liked Heat? This is the one before. <laughs> but, you know, I, still, I still, still think it's a it's a really good film. I think it is a really, really well, you know, well-made film. I just, you know, it's... Yeah, I think, I think the best thing... Uh, sorry, I think, I think the worst thing I can say about Insomnia, because I haven't seen the, uh, the original, is that Insomnia, to me, feels quite functional. And I think yes. that... Yes. That makes sense, because it was Nolan's first foray <laughs> into this foray, sort of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, into this type of filmmaking with huge stars and... Um, you know, it's the first time he shot a plane <laughs> and that just continued from there. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's a plane. <laughs> oh, I think I'll film one of these in every film from now on. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So moving on to my number seven, as I said before, is Dunkirk, which you had a little intake of breath about, which I think means that it's, it's higher up in your, in your chart. So yes, it is. that was my number seven and your number seven was insomnia. So my number six the Dark Knight. Oh my God. 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 I can't, I, I, just, I need to, I need to have a moment with that for a second. I can't, okay. what? <sighs> oh, we're gonna have to have a big fight. Okay. Um, my number six is Batman Begins. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. No, no. Walking I'm not standing for this. I'm not standing well, it, for this. I'm sorry. It's, you know, if we were in the same place, we would have a stand up rabbit. But as is, have you seen, there's a brilliant film out. Well, it's not out at the moment because they delayed the release. Um, there's a brilliant film 
called um, St. Francis, in which there's a fantastic confrontation between two people in the park. And this mother of this child says, because one of them is a sort of, you know, right wing Trumpy person who's complaining about her breastfeeding in the park. And the mother says to, to her, I think we have a responsibility to show our children that even though we disagree, we can do it civilly. Okay, in and you spirit, think that's what we are to our in audience? The, in the spirit, well, no, but in the spirit of which, um, do you sh- because so we can't do Dunkirk yet, and we can't do no. Dark Knight yet. So and we can't takes, do Batman Begins yet. No, so that takes us on to number five. Okay, top five. Here we go. Top five. Number five for mm-hmm. me, Dark Knight Rises. You are insane. You are insane. And number five for you. Number five for me is Memento. Oh, okay. You're not insane, but 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 you're okay. So that's interesting. So here's what we're going to do, Jack. This has uh, this has now taken us to the half an hour point, and we're just going to run down in order our number ten to uh, number six, and then we're going to pick up in a second podcast at number five and finish this gentlemanly uh, discussion. So. <laughs> At number 10, my number 10 is Nolan's uh, first film, Following. For me, it's The Dark Knight Rises. At number nine, Insomnia, largely because I think that the remake is a lot of what's, uh, the original is a lot of what's great about the remake. For me, number nine is Interstellar because I think it's Nolan's most frustrating Frankenstein film that he's ever made. Number eight, I'm kind of agreeing with you, Interstellar. I think I like it slightly more, but I do agree with all the stuff about the exposition. Number eight for me is following because it's Nolan's first film and you can see all the tricks that he he starts to play with. And I also think it's a really slick and smart thriller. Okay. So we're kind of on the same page. Then number seven for me, Dunkirk. (laughs) Number seven for me is insomnia functional, but good. Okay. Number six for me is the dark Knight. I want to be sick every time you say that. Number six for me is Batman Begins. Okay, and then we're going to pick up our next podcast with number five. And I've already told you that at number five for me, it's Dark Knight Rises. And for you, it's Memento. Thanks so much for listening to this Covered on Film podcast. If you want to see this, if you want to visualize, I mean, honestly, you need to see Jack explaining the plot of Interstellar. You know, I thought I had wavy hands, but that was particularly magnificent. Uh, join us for the next Kermit on Film Podcast, where we're going to pick this up from number five to number one, and I have the feeling it's going to get bloody. Uh, thanks ever so much. If you've enjoyed listening, tell your friends, please visit our Patreon page. As I said, look at the, uh, the video stuff. Incidentally, thanks to everybody for being a Kermit on Film listener. We just passed the three million listens mark, which That's is... That's cool. Yeah, and I, uh, I should say... Jack, an awful lot of that is to do with you. So thank you very much to everybody for, for pushing us past the three million mark. Uh, nobody is more delighted or surprised than I am. Thank you so much. I, I'm, I genuinely love doing this podcast. It's, it's, a, it's a joy for me. And I, I, I'm glad that people enjoy listening to us rant at each other. Yeah, well, five to one is coming on the next Kermit on Film podcast. Thanks so much. Honestly, I'm getting the knuckle dusters on. <laughs> <laughs> When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.